0: Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. Hey,
1: everybody, welcome to another episode of The Hunting Collective. I am Ben O'Brien. And this week, I am in the offices of the Meat Eater here in Bozeman, Montana. And I am joined by the great and powerful Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt. Now, you're going to know Mark as a personality in our little Meat Eater family. But you're also going to know him from all of his wonderful Wired to Hunt media products. He's a whitetail dude, you know, self described whitetail guy. And. Uh, I like him for that because I grew up as a whitetail guy, really, um, on the eastern east coast over there in Maryland, and I can relate to a lot of things that he loves to do. I love to do them too, um, and so it's a great conversation around um, our meat eater Christmas party. But it, it broke into some more serious conversation around the imperfections of bow hunting, around um, some of the imperfections around uh, finding deer once you've hit them, and then should you tag a deer or not. If you wounded it. Bunch of heavy topics, bunch of laughs, bunch of fun stuff. That's Mark Kenyon. For right now. Hey, Mark Kenyon. Hey, Ben O'Brien. We're just uh, talking about the amount of podcasts. Like, how many podcasts do you feel like you've done,
2: both you've been involved in, but then also hosted? it has got to be a lot of them. A whole lot. Two hundred and. Sixty or so of Wired oh Hunt, sixty-five or so of another series I did. Yeah, been guest on a lot. You were like the you were like the uh, pioneer of of one of the pioneers podcast. You had one, to be one of the pioneers. Yeah, there was yeah. a few others before me, but definitely. I mean, I, I launched it, launched the Wired Hunt podcast back in the spring of two thousand fourteen. Wow. Okay.
1: Who was around then? Was there any other podcast around then?
2: Because I certainly wouldn't list to podcast in twenty fourteen. You know the first hunting podcast i ever listened to was called bowcast i think yeah. and i listened to that way back in 2009 i don't think that podcast lasted i think it was around for a little bit and then it was off the radar by the time i started podcasting yeah. um but i listened to that one peterson's bow had a podcast way back in 2009 for a little bit too that i listened to but then that kind of faded away yeah um so there's a couple that that started early and maybe it was almost a situation where it was a little bit too early for critical mass.
1: Yeah, that that might that might have been it cuz I think Christian Berg had one. That was that was the Peterson's bowling one. Yep. Yeah, way back when I was was at Peterson's. Yep. And he was the only person I knew that had a podcast and I thought that's kind of a weird underground radio show.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a, it's a great medium and I kind of got lucky in that when I dove into his was kind of a perfect meeting of right. the right time and the right kind of content. Yeah, and just a you know,
1: uh something everybody should know is that we, we're coming off the meat eater Christmas party. <laughs> so if we sound sound a little sluggish to begin, you know that we I mean there's a little bit of booze there. There's a little night. bit of
2: booze. A little yeah. bit of booze. So I got um, a full cup of coffee in front of me that I haven't got to dive into yet. So. Yeah feel free just to I mean people enjoy. I'm all I don't drink coffee so I'm drinking hot chocolate. That was really interesting to me when you told me a few minutes ago that you never even tasted a sip of coffee.
1: Uh, not that I can remember. Now I don't know, you know, saying it on a recording like that. I don't know. Maybe one time I did, but I don't remember. I don't remember ever doing it. I certainly never took an intentional drink
2: of coffee. Yeah. Are My you life. susceptible to peer pressure? No. So if, if I were to tell your podcast audience that we needed to all comment and message you and tweet you enough, if, that was, if there was a landslide... Of of protest that Ben needed to try coffee. Would you give in for your listeners, for your beloved for my listeners? for my people? I probably yeah.
1: I mean, like I said, I'm not. I don't necessarily. I'm not a staunch you know anti coffee person. You're pro I'm nuance. Just, yeah, I'm pro pro nuance <laughs> anti anti <laughs> <They're> bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that um I would probably try it, and then I would probably just you know. Like, listen, people, it tastes tastes terrible. You probably wouldn't like it. At no, first. it doesn't. It doesn't taste good. It's not a. It's, it tastes like a sock. <laughs> I heard. <laughs> you know, that's not a bad way to describe it. Yeah, but socks are an acquired taste. Yeah. And, so. and listen, it's got it's got drugs built into it that get you all addicted, and next right. thing you know, yes. You know, I, so I am I, um, not against it. I have very many, many friends and colleagues and family members who think I'm foolish for not. For not doing it, but
2: uh, hey, more power to you. If you don't I need guess. to give in to the caffeine drug, and you can still be productive and effective and a happy dude, go for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm doing all right. Like, yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> I'm tired a lot. Like I, I probably get a little energy. Like if I drank, if I drank a five hour energy, I would die. Like if I, if I immediately. That's. If I just drank a full one of those things, like chugged one. I had a boss one time. Who would drink like three or four of those things in a day, Yikes. which really covers all the day, but four yeah. hours if you drink four of them. And she would like three during a work day, Have three of those things, and uh, I did try a sip of that one time, and I had, almost had to go home. <laughs> I was like, a, Yeah, that sounds dangerous. Yeah, drinking that many. And so that that was part of it. Like, yeah, yeah. but I still, you know, now we're getting really deep, <laughs> deep into my like what's going down in my life, which is all we want to, want to know. That's all it is. Uh, I eat a lot of sugar, so I'm not. I got. I got no. We Yannis Patellas' wife made this like they call them adult cookies. I don't know why. Not because oh, that's, they're calling them. Yeah, because I think it takes so long to make them that they don't want to have the children eat them because they won't appreciate it. See, I would have sure. thought it was something else. That's that. what I was thinking. I'm like, let's go, <laughs> yeah. let's get it done.
2: I'm all for adult. <laughs> I'm all for these adult <laughs> cookies. I've had some in Colorado. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> But I wonder why you're lingering in that yeah. corner all night last night. <laughs> you wonder why I was
1: a bit the chip. He poured yeah. in the cookies. Um, I must have eaten like eleven of these cookies. That can't be. I
2: mean, that's not good for you. Probably not great.
1: Um, but Ali, you know, I don't. I don't drink a whole ton. I don't. Um, I don't smoke. I don't dip. I don't drink coffee. But boy, like, I'll rock a cake, man. Like <laughs> half a cake. <laughs> i don't even care we've all got our, thing. <laughs> all got our yeah. thing so listen i'm not without like i can't make fun of the coffee drinkers for having a vice like because i most people drink coffee like
2: i can't get my morning started without a coffee man and that's how you are with chocolate cake
1: yeah like, like i'll have a i need my chocolate cake well you, yeah you see you saw my truck this morning it's full of you know cake wrappers in and perrier yeah oh yeah well, yeah, yeah
2: yeah like right? a nice sparkling right? water yeah did i say that right yeah well no those were pellegrinos oh I pellegrinos okay. yeah okay like giant bottles. They're huge. I thought huge. you had giant bottles of opened wine bottles in your car, <laughs> like sparkling white wine. This guy's
1: <is> serious yeah. <laughs> about his wine. <laughs> it's Christmas season. No, I do like to, I do like a nice sparkling water. That's good. I required that taste when I worked at Yeti and they had free LaCroix.
2: Mm. That's, a big uh, I, that's one thing I never got into, but I know a lot of people like it.
1: But then it's like, yeah, it's nice. This um, is the
2: plan for the whole podcast, right? It's just, just talking talk about our beverages. Yeah, you know, beverages
1: consumption habits. Good. Yes, that's. Actually, got, I have a special announcement. That's we're changing the <laughs> subject matter. Hunting is getting a little bit old. Um, we feel like we've done it all, and we're just gonna yeah diversify. Caffeine and caffeine related beverages. I'd listen. Uh, but yeah, the, the meat eater Christmas party. Did you have a
2: good time? I had a very good time. Yeah, yeah it was fantastic. It's cool. Like we was telling me a little a little earlier. It's just cool to see this whole group of people that. To this point, has largely been scattered all across the country. Mm. Everyone kind of doing their own thing. Um, it, it was it was just an idea six months ago in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. um, and now all of a sudden we're here with a whole group of people all together working towards a common cause and seeing that physically manifested. Yeah, that was uh, that was exciting. Yeah, we've talked about it before. I know. Like, but companies
1: are these imperfect, you know, entities mm-hmm. that that have all these imperfections, and and a lot of times. Um, we focus on those imperfections cuz we're trying to fix them right mm-hmm. and that's for good reason but it's nights nice, like last night where you just you're in your room people everybody's having fun everybody's having a drink and everybody's eating good food we had like fresh oysters and dungeness crabs and sea deer ham and all kind of stuff and yeah um it's good fantastic stuff. and and you kind of forget about those imperfections for a while cuz you don't have to like there's no problems to solve yeah. anymore um, not that you know, it's not a bad thing. It's just how it is. But it's needed though. It's good Yeah, it's to have needed. Those... Every once in a while, you need to just kind of like sit back and 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 the holiday seasons are good for that. But like, take stock and like what's really going on. Yes, here um, and we could overstate it for marketing purposes, but it's a pretty pretty cool thing to be a part of. I would say. I would. I would say so too. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have any. No, I, there wasn't anybody who was like that guy at the Christmas party. I left pretty mm. early. Yeah, but uh, nobody, nobody. Uh,
2: I didn't see anyone who's going to be getting like a terse email this morning or anything. <laughs> like, dear sir. Yeah, <laughs> none, the, none of that. That's Appropriate good. behavior in the subject. That's good.
1: Yeah. None no, we that. we had a white Christmas part, Christmas gift party. And I think it's called a white elephant. Was that what it is white? What I it say, white a, Christmas? It not a white Christmas. It's event. early. It's like, a white,
2: have, white elephant is the. That's the deal. A white elephant Christmas, yeah. White
1: elephant. Whereas you get a gift
2: and then you steal other people's yeah, you gifts. You swap them, steal them, all that. It's it's very very ruthless. You got kind of screwed got over screwed a couple times. Over, man. Yeah, you were a frequent victim.
1: Yeah, we had a deal like at the very start of the party, before the booze started flowing. We had a deal where you would shoot the. There was a squirrel target. Yep. On the back fence at our CEO's house, and if you could hit it with a twenty-two, you got a squirrel. And that squirrel gave you like special powers. Yes. At the uh, white Christmas elephant gift exchange. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that we helped. <laughs> and like I had a squirrel because I hit this, I hit the thing with the 22. And I, I was very confused about how to use the squirrel, but it gave you like a power to like steal at any time or whatever. I ended up with a sweet, uh, like a lever action Nerf gun and had a sheriff's badge with it. I was going to
2: say the sheriff's badge I feel like was the the part that you liked the most.
1: And I stole this from a coworker and I put on the sheriff's like proudly. Prou- proudly, proudly. And put put that thought, I thought I thought, well, I've got this. And, like I've got the squirrel, nobody can take this from me. I'm going to go ahead and like unpack mm-hmm. the gift and put on the sheriff's badge like prou- like I was Yes. Yeah, I think everybody noticed that I was I certainly good. did. And there was a, there apparently was a, a, an axis of evil, like three people in the corner that were conspiring to take the person's gift who seemed the most excited about what they had.
2: Annie was very, very
1: excited about ruining your and night. We need to call her out. Annie Razor yes. is our VP of production. <laughs> She's really the magician behind Meat Eater TV and all these Ew. fancy commercials you're seeing. But she, at this moment, and Josh Prestine as well, and Brody Henderson, I think. I can't remember the three... But
2: they conspired to take away my joy. Yeah, when they walked over and pulled that sheriff's badge off of you, yeah, you could see it in your eyes. Could you see, like crestfallen? Yeah, what I several think. of us noticed it. Like, did you see Ben's face? That little sparkle. Do you see that? Just a little bit of his soul died. Yeah, that little sparkle just just Gone. disappeared,
1: and you'll never. And I'll never get
2: it back. We won't i'm sorry no. about that
1: yeah but i ended up with m&ms i ended up with like a <laughs> yard long m&m situation good for the sugar guy yeah that was good for me <laughs> i'm like oh, maybe that's probably better because
2: i would definitely shoot everyone around the office you laid in bed underneath the covers last night slowly weeping and eating yeah. a yard worth <laughs> of m&ms yeah,
1: so many m&ms <laughs> but yes i mean those things devolve into like you know oh, yeah. fun times yes fun times but they did steal my joy um so, I like to call those people out for their. I think it's good. We and do. they told me later, they came over and they said, We definitely conspired against you only because I seem to have the most joy. Man, some people the in this world, world can, the world is a tough place, Mark Kenyon.
2: I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why we need podcasts like this.
1: Yeah, to talk it
2: through. Yes. Otherwise I wouldn't you know that feels pretty cathartic. I feel a little better about my life. Good. That's all this podcast ever was for, right? Just to stroke your ego that's and make it. you feel better oh, about that's things. All it is. That's all
1: it is. <laughs> I, I, I think that's what, I said
2: that at the beginning. I'm like, this is for
1: me. I don't I, I'm sorry about if you don't like me talking about the Christmas party. <laughs> yeah, well, that's all know I've ever telling. done.
2: That's all I've ever done wired on too. Yeah. That's all Christmas. <laughs>
1: But yeah, yeah, you're the vet. I mean, there's no way to pivot from uh, the Christmas party to
2: deer hunting, so we might as well just yeah. I, mean, I want to. How how do you make that transition?
1: Just do it. I don't know. I'm not sure. But I like you know. I would say, I said this when I had uh, Ryan Callahan on the podcast that I felt like a good segment might be like the shit that's bothering me. The, the shit
2: that's bothering me.
1: No. Not to say we don't have segments here on this program, but we do have things that I like to talk about. Pretty much every episode to annoy folks. But also... So can we call that a segment?
2: Should i like to talk about on pretty much every episode. Pretty much every episode, yeah. Uh,
1: sponsored by...
2: <laughs> Mark Kenyon. <laughs> sponsored by... i coming come in for that. Spon- <laughs> sponsored by
1: uh, Black Rifle Coffee. There you go. Which is a, it looks like it's a nice company. I, I haven't tried that. Should, they have not friends there. We have like a big pile of it over here in the office. I'd like to try. Um, I have a lot, a lot of nice people work there. I just don't, you know, have never had their product. Did they pay you for this promotion? Yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> Ching. <laughs> um, oh, there's some man. things in the whitetail world that bother me now, okay. you know, for for point of fact, I am you know I grew up a whitetail hunter. I mm-hmm. once wrote a whitetail column for Peterson's Hunting Magazine and and um, a whitetail blog for NRA's American Hunter. So grow you know, coming up in the industry and growing up, I think the, the I, uh, at some level I was like I'm going to be a whitetail guy, you know, like a whitetail expert guy. Um, or at least somebody that wrote a lot about whitetails. Man.
2: And you realized early on that was a path for despots and yeah, was, the, the low <laughs> IQ types like me.
1: Yeah, it's a path for the <laughs> cavemen
2: like you. Yes, yes.
1: No, I just I think I just um, uh, hunted other things. I could hunt everything, but I still think whitetails, man. I would say that the best thing in the world is sitting in a tree, and and like knowing every corner of an area where you're set a stand. And then finally hearing that like, and it's not a squirrel this time. Because 19 times before it was. 19 times before it was. (laughs) Son of a bitch. And I have to try to explain this to my wife a bunch of times around like, I can tell you what a squirrel sounds like and what a deer sounds like and a raccoon and I can tell you what an armadillo sounds like from Mm -hmm. living in Texas. Um, but there's, I still feel like I've heard elk bugle, I've hunted, like go through all the things I've hunted. I've heard moose doing their thing. Um, but man, that like is, um, the pinnacle,
2: I believe. And it's the pinnacle in a, in a very different way from those other experiences you mentioned because those other experiences like an elk bugling or, Seeing a goat on a mountaintop, those things are are, are 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 quite intense. Yeah. While the moments as a whitetail hunter are are punctual, are there. They are what they are because of the lack of intensity for so much of the time. It's it's long stretches of monotony where hopefully you can fall into an almost Zen state where you're just taking in the world around you and yes. it's this opportunity um, to, to kind of yeah I do that every time yeah. in the tree stand. Literally make that noise. Maybe that's why I'm not seeing. You're one not deer. seeing any deer. <laughs> Doing it too loud. Yeah. They can hear the vibrations. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but you do kind of slip into like the stream of consciousness of the woods when you sit there long enough and it quiets down. You're just kind of part of it. And then though that is occasionally punctuated by these moments of this adrenaline burst of something happening. And it's those, those contrasts that make it really exciting and in a very different way than an elk hunt is exciting. They're both really great um, in their own way.
1: Yeah. But white tail hunting is. I just grew up spending so much time in, in, you know, like tall timber country that um, that's just the, you know, that feeling, you know, East coast, big, tall oaks and, you know, like pretty, you know where we were it was mountainous country, and so I just just being in that setting, watching leaves falling out of the tree, the heightened, like I said, the heightened sense of awareness of, you know, animals move, birds. When the birds first start, you know, they're usually the first to sound off, but also things like when a squirrel's chattering at you, and you're like, oh, okay, well. That's that's an announcement to mm-hmm. everything else around that, what I've been up to. So, yeah, I mean, I think there is – I have an appreciation of that because it, like, signifies everything that, like, the foundational elements of my hunting life, Yeah, you know. It signifies all these, like, none of this other stuff would have happened if it wasn't for – began there. Before that. And so I, I'm um, – living here, though, I mean, living in Montana, there's, there's some whitetails around, but I'll never get the feeling of, like, being in a tree stand – in a large set of timber, you know, leaves falling around me with, with you know, listening for that. And it's actually more.
2: Yeah. And the squirrel's like. Yeah. There's a certain cadence with you've got the front step or the front leg and the back leg coming up, and there's like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. That's the rhythm that if you hear that, you realize it's a deer. That's the deer walking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and, you know, it, there's a lot of stuff that comes to mind. But that that ends up for me being it's the pinnacle. It really just for me it god when I think about it, I think like let's let's rewind the calendar a couple of months so I can go so, do
2: it right now. Yeah. So I worry though, because you, you preluded all this by saying that we are entering the shit that bothers Ben segment. And so I feel like you're really setting me up like, Oh, this stuff's so good. But
1: No, no, I, I think that <laughs> I time. got a lot of shit that bothers <laughs> me. I mean I'm from the east coast and i'm irish like this is pretty much the this is all we what have to do <laughs> yeah, that's all this is all we have speaking
2: of christmas parties
1: yeah i mean drink and be bothered by mm-hmm. things is <laughs> just about all that we do um
2: i'd love to be one of those family reunions i
1: feel like yeah it's just i mean it's i got some i got this is what grinds my gears like <laughs> she grinds my gears
2: um so sorry i didn't mean to derail you
1: no no i i did i was kind of setting you up a little bit there like, mm-hmm. it's one of those compliment sandwiches. We'll end yes. with another compliment. <laughs> as well. I say all this to say, like, part of my, um, the selfless nature of this podcast is because there, there are some things, loving deer hunting so much and having worked around at some point in my career, the North American Whitetail crew, getting to know those folks and working on their website a little bit and getting to know Bill Winkie over the years, getting to know John Dudley over the years, getting to know some of the best, you know, Lee and Tiffany getting to know some of the best that do it and seeing um, the way they express their deer hunting and seeing some of the changes really in the, col- the deer hunting culture that you have driven, a lot of which you have driven. Um, there's still some things that like, there's still some whys that I think um, are worth talking about. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, the first of them is around um, how like how long do you leave a deer lay? I think in the prevailing, I I came up watching like the Hunter Specialties DVDs and Realtree Monster Bucks. I came up doing that, and I and I feel as though there some things in the culture like were seated there and just remained, um, just because that's that was the media that was available at Mm -hmm. the time, and then that kind of got seated into outdoor TV and just became like part of the thing that you do. Right, you shoot a deer and you leave it lay. Now these are very general statements but in general I feel like no matter if it's a big mature buck or it's I'm just shot a doe or whatever the case is I've still regardless I'm still thinking meat first mm-hmm. you know once I've got the got a hole in the deer that, I'm, that yeah. I was targeting or or uh, wanting to kill and so I'm still thinking meat first so it comes down to for me like I've shot a deer I either have an idea where the hit is. You know, we're talking archery here, probably, but rifle as well. Rifle less so, but I have an idea where the hit is. I feel like it was a good shot. Um, a lot of folks don't film. You know, don't have film of every deer they've shot. So mm-hmm. if you can't go back and look at the videotape, a lot of times, like you know, your mind is moving so fast, and you're, you know, a lot of this is reflex and instinct, and and it's in archery in these close quarter situations. You think you hit him well, you're not sure. The blood you know here, the another point of this is like what kind of how to read blood and how to understand how to track an animal that guys culturally are pushed to leave a deer lay overnight or for eight hours, or the the would you agree that the the prevailing thought is the longer you leave it lay, the better the chance of recovering the deer?
0: for all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where Land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to Land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth.
2: I would say not entirely, but there are certainly situations where a common belief is better safe than sorry. Yep. A lot of times. And I think sometimes that's warranted sometimes not Yep. Yep. and i can expand on that if you want please so i get what you're saying your issue is that too many people are letting these deer lay because they just want to make sure they get that buck or whatever not taking to account the fact that they're letting something lay for eight hours and it's hot out and when they get that the meat's soured and they don't recover that meat
1: yeah and or um coyotes come into play as well
2: yep yep so that is certainly a risk in waiting to track a deer yep in certain situations. I would argue that there are some situations where if you feel very confident with where you saw that shot placement, if you saw you were able to check the shot site of impact and saw the type of blood at the, at the site, there's certain indicators that will tell you you know what this is a this is a dead deer. like this is this is a deer that was hit double lunged. Um, we got great lung blood. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing where, where there's, just, there's simply no need to wait that long. Wait an hour, two hours max, something yep. like that. Yep. Um, your, your meat's not going to go bad in that shorter time frame, no. assuming it's not no. 120 degrees or something. Yeah. Um, in that kind of situation, give it just a little bit of time, because there are situations where, like a single, a single long hit deer, um, that might look like a great shot. If it just, if if the angle is a little bit off and you just get one lung, that deer can can go a little bit longer than you'd want it to. So the situations where, you know, I would never say go out there five minutes later, go bouncing right back. Yeah.
1: Nor would I, I mean, I think you have to understand a lot of things, right? You have to understand how far can a deer go with a double Mm up hip, right? In generally a hundred yards is what.
2: Yeah. I would say if I had to ballpark it most of the time. Yeah. So I think this comes down to though, that takes a level of understanding of where you saw that arrow or bullet hit, what the sign looks like, what the situation was and knowing, um, what the right next step is based off of that. And yeah. I think there might be a lot of people who see people on TV, ah, I'm going to let it lay, going to let it lay. You see that a ton on TV. Going to wait overnight, going to wait overnight, going to wait overnight. And a lot of people, I think, maybe just start assuming or oh, do that no matter what. Yeah. And so I would say in the situation I just outlined, where it's that kind of, hey, this buck is here within 100 yards, barring some kind of crazy... Um, shocking surprise. In that kind of situation, it does not make sense to to risk anything with that meat, yeah. especially if it's a warm day. You yeah. also need, you need to take temperature into account. Oh, yeah. So if it's a hot day, I'm moving all my time frames up because, yes, there would be nothing more devastating to me than walking up on a deer that I killed and not being able to recover that meat.
1: Yeah.
2: Except. for having the hind end be gone. Having the hind end gone. That is except the one alternative. There's one thing that is more devastating to me than that. Yeah, which is knowing that I hit a deer, and knowing that deer is probably going to die because of where that shot was, but not recovering it at all. Yeah, which is why I still believe that there are some situations where it is right to wait. Yes, because it is better to recover a deer that's missing a hind quarter or maybe a little bit of his his soured. It's better to make that recovery. It's not ideal. It's not what you want, but it's better to get that recovery than no recovery at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, and no, you're right, hundred percent right. I mean, and, and I don't. Um... When I say this bothers me I think it bothers me for the reasons you outlined around um, just depth of thought around these types of things and does not fall back on some <clears throat> prevailing uh, yeah. idea that leaving it lay is the right thing to do because you're being cautious <clears throat> and you're trying to recover that deer in um, in the first place that's the goal so you hit a deer you need to recover it and so you know, having a having a bigger conversation around the balancing act that occurs there and i think you said a lot of what i think about what you have to as a deer hunter have to understand right you have to understand uh shot placement shot angle you have to understand uh, the effectiveness of of different types of shots Mm -hmm. you have to understand then once you've determined that then the next step is to determine okay what's the temperature right what's the variabilities here what's the temperature what are the levels of predation in this area? Yep. Where did, what direction did this deer run? Did he run downhill? Did he run uphill? Is there a dry creek bed here? Is there a ravine? He might. Is there a thick spot where he? I know he might go. Yep. There's a ton of variables here. Yes. So, but I think understanding that right, and so then you have you set that stage, paint that picture. Like, okay, I hit him hard. I know I hit him hard. I hit him in a good spot. Likely one long, but probably two. He ran downhill. He like what well, you know, his his front end was, you know, looking wobbly as he went downhill. Probably a better way to say that, but that's that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Go get that buck. Yeah. He ran downhill, right? But he ran uphill, stood for a while, and chased a doe off.
2: Then I'm thinking, mm. uh,
1: I don't know. Yikes. Um, but it's pretty warm and we've seen a lot of coyotes today. And he ran into a place where he's probably just going to stay, right? So I'm thinking, okay, now I don't want to leave him lay overnight in this scenario. But, man, I've seen on TV a lot of guys just leave him lay overnight. Leave, and and I got to recover him. I'll get get the antlers and maybe get the back straps, But at this stage, I'm sure I'm not going to get – I think I hit him good, but I'm sure I'm not going to get the meat at this point or I'm not going to get all the meat. My philosophy there is it's like I'm going to find a way to determine where this steer's at. Um, and then you have the other scenario where he runs close to a neighboring property or he runs to a place where you're not if you push him you, you push him on a public land or you mm-hmm. push him into a place where he's gonna get whacked um, so I have for sure been I've been in a lot of these situations you surely have as well so uh,
2: comes back that's to complicated. Kind of what you said nuance you yeah. got it you gotta and, and there's some folks that are just getting to this that just haven't had the opportunity to have those yeah. experiences and learn yet in that scenario, I would just caution people to not just see something on TV and say, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Try to dive into it. There's a lot of great resources out there that, that can walk you through yeah. what different colors of blood indicate as far as shot impact. There's yeah. different resources that you can look at that will talk you through, okay, if you see the arrow hit here, this is likely with the vitals it hit. This is likely how much time you. we yeah. would recommend you wait.
1: Well, didn't deer um, and deer hunting used to do like 3D renderings of a deer yeah, they had an app? Yeah, and that exactly. would show like show you exactly what vitals it probably went through. Yeah. I don't know and if that's
2: still around, but it was a handy tool back it in the was. day.
1: Was and then you also had you know different types of blood. You can mm-hmm. look. You know, there's plenty of resources around what that looks like. If it's got it's bright red and it's got bubbles in it, that's pretty surely lung blood. Yep. Uh, if if it's a Uh, the darker the blood i mean you have dark like liver liver type blood then you have if you're finding any bile or any Mm -hmm. types of chunks of
2: greeny chunks of green
1: stuff that's that's guts like yeah there's there's easy ways that's the
2: kind of scenario if you get a gut shot pawn shot that is the one scenario where you're probably not going to recover that deer unless you wait yeah because you're not going to get a blood good blood trail at all but that deer if you do let it lay down and this is the the imperfect part of deer hunting. Yeah, right. We talk about this sometimes. That there's there are some scenarios where things, even if you did everything you possibly could have done right, there are so yeah. many variables when it comes to any kind of hunting, whether it's deer hunting, right. elk hunting, caribou hunting. There are variables outside of our control. Sometimes, sometimes the shot does not go just perfect, and you get a you get a gut shot for whatever reason. Something like that happens. That what happened then is water under the bridge. Right tell you, like this. This is what happened. Yeah. It is not what I want to happen. It is, a, it is a bad situation, but that is what happens. So how do I make the very best out of this less than ideal scenario? And so in that I, case...
1: Let me let me stop you there because sure. this is something that I've wrestled with. And I think I've come to this conclusion recently just over... Um, I There was a, a scenario last year where, where two years ago uh, I had where somebody I was hunting with shot a deer and we argued about. I said, go get that damn deer, man. We've seen six coyotes in this uh, five days we've been hunting this is it was a big giant buck i mean it was 175 180 inch buck the bucket shot i'm arguing that was it was like a one lung through the liver quartering two angle shot that wasn't the best shot in the world right but not the worst shot not either, the though. worst shot in the world a lethal shot yeah because i filmed it so we had film and we yep. were able to watch it um watched what the deer did the deer ran down into a dry creek bed that kind of fingered off into two mm-hmm. areas and the guys hunt with who owned the property knew that this deer was likely going to get down in that and run that uh dry creek bed till it ended and some be somewhere in there like we kind of know where okay. this deer went to lay and i'm and he's like well we'll just leave it lay overnight. i'm like if you leave later are you're, you're losing the meat like you're not getting it it was cold enough for the meat to be but those coyotes are going to find it, and they're, they're – I mean, we saw three coyotes within the 100 yards where this deer's going to end up. Like yeah. They're going to find it, and they're going to chew on it. Um, and it's also, you know, partly shot in the guts, uh, shot in the vitals, but also in the guts. Mm-hmm. So you know that thing's going to be sour by the time you get to it. Uh, I was like, I know it's going to die. I think it's going to die in four hours or five hours would be my guess. Um, and they shot it at about 11 a.m. I'm so mm. like, let us yeah. wait till three or four. Yep. Um, Then you have a hunter that's like, not it wasn't necessarily in this case, but some hunters like this is a 180 inch buck. I got to get those antlers. Like, like, well, I'd much rather have that deer run to Timbuktu and die over there and me never find him than me find him and not be able to eat the meat.
2: See, that's where I would disagree with you because you don't know you won't be able to eat any of the meat if you wait. Now, I would argue that in that situation that you just outlined, where you, you think that that buck's gonna die in three to four hours or something like that, is a, like a very safe. Then, yeah, I'm I'm all for. It. I go, I would go and get him then. Yeah, I would not. I would not let a buck lay overnight unless I absolutely thought that it was necessary. Yeah. So, because, so the question becomes, how safe is safe? Yeah, and that's that's a that's a judgment call each person's got to make. But I there as i like i told you like there's nothing that would make me more sick i'm very fortunate i've not yet lost the meat from a deer because that would just devastate me i would feel i i i personally cannot justify killing an animal unless i'm eating it yep For that's where i draw my line for myself um but at the same time if i shoot a deer and i think it's a gut shot and i know man if i go in there right now i'm bumping that deer and yeah. i'm never gonna find it um then you have, in my opinion, then you have yeah. to wait because, like I said, it's better to recover, better recover some portion of that animal. Oh yeah, than to let it completely go to waste. Yeah, but it is it is a it's a it's a shitty situation to be in. You don't want to be in that situation. You you're doing your best to make yep. the right judgment call. Yeah, um, yeah,
1: right or wrong, right? I mean, you, you you again, it comes back to the responsibility of a hunter. Um, the last podcast I did with you know Dushan Smetana. I saw him on the website. I'm not familiar yeah. with him otherwise. Though he's just a wonderful human. Um, but he grew up in Czechoslovakia, and they had this thing called I'll butcher the pronunciation of it, but Michlavec, in their culture, means like hunter, but it also means thinker. It mm-hmm. means I like and the it. way he describes that is like the hunter has to be um, has to be the well has to be well studied. Has to be well studied in the flora. Like they take classes before they can go hunting on the flora and the fauna, and have to learn these things. And like the respect for the hunter comes from the depth of thought and knowledge of the outside world. And and the way he describes that is like that's your responsibility because you are selecting an animal. You have to know the animal because you're selecting it from Mm -hmm. the herd to be taken, and you're eating it. And then you're you have to be efficient to find it and kill it. And then once, you know, in this case, once you've killed it, recover it. So I always think about that. So at this, you know, there's like a, if this was, you know, teetering on, do you all, do you push forward and find the deer or do you let it lay? I don't think there's a clean answer. I think what bothers me is that some hunters think there's a clean answer there. That's like always leave it lay yeah. or fall back on leaving it lay. So that's what bothers me. Uh, there's a lot of hunters out there that do it the right way. I think most people will do their best job at it,
2: but I think some of the cultural just relevance of leave it lay yeah. needs to be explored. And I think that's a good. I think it's a good point. And I do think that it probably stems from media where mm. there's not. I, I can't. I can't claim to to know the thought process for the folks on tv saying this but i would guess that a lot of people edit out a lot of the thought process and just say oh we're gonna let it lay be safe yes and maybe there was some serious thought in there and trying to find what their right judgment was um, and then the viewer just misses out on that so then it's just like thinking well this is just what you do you just always let it lay or or maybe there is um maybe there are people who are knowingly saying, well, I don't really care about the meat and I just want to get those antlers, I hope that's not the case. I pray that's not the case, but, you know, there might be some folks out there like that. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, it's hard. these conversations are
1: hard because you don't want to generalize in any way, right? You just can't. It's not fair to people to generalize in any way. Um, I'm sure there are people out there that are like, I'd rather, like, I either get the meat or the deer runs off, I don't care. And there's people out there that say, I don't care about the meat very much. If I get some, great. If not, I'm not really worried about it. As long as I get those antlers that's mm-hmm. what I'm that's what I'm here to do um, so you know I think these complex issues always goes back to like it'll be a you know be a thinker and make and you know be the Miklevic. and I really like that yeah man. it, it the hunter and thinker should be synonymous yeah and so th- these these are things that require thought mm-hmm. and I think um, in the whitetail world like there has there's so much media out there there's so much noise out there about um, this big buck or that big buck or that experience like this is one of those things that just it requires lots of knowledge you know you have it i have some of it like i've tried to you know as a function of my hunting learn these things but it's worth reiterating that these aren't with you can't really do it without these things yeah
2: and i think it's there's nothing we do in our entire lives i think that and It's interesting because sometimes we grow up hunting and you just do it because it's what you do, and it's just because it's what your dad or grandpa or whatever family member or friend did, and as, as a kid, it was fun, and you yeah. used did it and you know myself growing up, I didn't really put a whole lot of thought into it. I just knew I loved it, yeah, but as an adult now and having had the opportunity to think on these things a little bit more, I don't think there's anything more deserving of thoughtfulness and critical thinking in our lives. Than hunting. Because that's yeah. there's nothing more serious. There's nothing. We, we are taking yeah. a life. Can you name one thing more serious than taking a life? No. So without a doubt, that action should be something that serious thoughtfulness should be required yeah yeah um
1: yeah that's how i like that like the cultural significance of that and that's yeah. and that's again again you know we get real deep in this conversation but it gets back into like what is a hunter traditionally in our society and our culture i mean a hunter a hunter was a provider a hunter was you know to be you know really at you know for lack of a better term and this is a pun that i don't like but like, like at the top of the food chain within a tribe or within a group mm-hmm. of people the hunter was seen um was was seen with great significance. And I think um, I find our culture to be a little bit loose when it comes to that. Deer hunting culture is the prevailing culture within mm-hmm. the hunting world. Um, more people go deer hunting than do anything else by far. Yeah. Um, and there's more deer than any other you know game animal. America's a big game, game animal. By far. So there's a lot of influence that goes into that. Yes. Um, so that's one. That's one that um I think spins into another thing that we've been talking about lately here in the office and you and I have talked about some is just um the wound rates and you know, the way you put it is like the imperfections of bow hunting, mm-hmm. right? And some of the difficulties around how we treat archery as as a group and then the results um and how and how open we are about the results yeah for fear of for fear of um i would imagine for fear of attack um or you know what's your take me through like as as somebody who hunts you know mainly with a bow like your thought processes when you're talking about archery on your podcast or when you're trying to you know get people into to hunting and lead them into hunting and and say pick up a bow first mm-hmm. you know that's what you ought to do
2: Like what are you what are you thinking about that? Well, I don't know if I would necessarily recommend that. Yeah, that probably wouldn't be what I would say. If there's someone new to hunting, that might not be my first option. I would, uh, I think, rifle hunting or crossbow hunting, if that's your thing, um, is easier to perfect as far as the effectiveness of the um, being able to kill an animal. Yeah, like that. That process is simply easier to uh, to become competent at. I guess than shooting a vertical bow, shooting a compound bow or a traditional bow. Um, so for someone getting started, that's probably a great way to start because there's a whole heck of a lot of things you got to figure out when you're figuring out how to deer hunt. Yeah, um, it's nice to at least know that your methodology for take is going to be as relatively of a sure thing as you can possibly get it. Mm. Um, so that being said, I'm right. It is it's clear then, by way of me saying that, that using a vertical compound bow is more difficult. It is less. It is more difficult to become competent. It's more difficult to be consistent. There's more room for error. Um, there's more room for for things to go bad, for imperfections. Yep. And this is where this weird like dichotomy comes into play because, on one hand, I would tell you that as a deer hunter, my number one goal is to make as quick and clean and ethical of a kill as I possibly can. If I'm going to take the life of an animal, I'm going to do so. Um, the best way I possibly can to, to limit any kind of suffering, to yeah. make sure I recover that animal. I mean that that's I would say that's first and foremost. Yeah. At the same time though, it it might seem very hypocritical then to tell you that I actively choose to use a compound bow for 90% of my hunting. How do I how do I justify that? Yeah. And I don't know if I have a perfect answer to that, but I can tell you that there is an experience um in it Maybe this is inherently selfish. Maybe this is something that we as, as, as bow hunters, maybe, maybe I'm a flawed, selfish human because I love to bow hunt yes. or I like to um, engage yeah. in hunting in that way. But, but, but the experience I have as a bow hunter is a very different experience than I have as a gun hunter. And that experience, that way of engaging with an animal, with the habitat, the, the skill and time and effort and practice the amount of work that has to go into that to be successful um, makes it um, incredibly compelling, addicting, interesting, forces me to, to become a more well-rounded outdoorsman. But yes, it does open things up to the possibility of things not going right. Yeah. Um, and so, so with that said, what I find is that I simply have a greater obligation. If, I ch- if you're choosing to be a bow hunter, and you're choosing to engage with animals and wildlife and stuff in this way, you just have a greater obligation to work your tail off to do as much as you possibly can to become more perfect. You're never going right. to become perfect. A bow hunter can't be perfect. There will yeah, always be imperfections. Nor is a rifle hunter. Nor, yeah, yes. Um, so m- mistakes will happen sometimes. I mean, it is tough. There are a lot of things that can go wrong. Yes, Animals can move. Um, so no one, even the very best archers out there, even like John Dudley or someone stuff's going to go wrong sometimes for these guys or girls. So I think the obligation just becomes then for us as hunters, bow hunters to do everything we possibly can to every day, become more perfect, get closer and closer and closer to minimizing any kind of error. And hopefully, um, hopefully because of how, because of how uniquely engaging bow hunting is, this is a, uh, hypothesis, I guess. Yeah. But because of how deep that interaction is, that I think I think is unique with bow hunting, yeah. I think I think you could just uh, dive deeper. I'm not saying that you can't achieve some of these things as a rifle hunter. But if I were to generalize, I'm overgeneralizing here. But I think via bow hunting, it forces you to get deeper into this thing, deeper into how you interact with these animals, understand these animals, all those things. I hope and I think it fosters a different level uh, or a deeper level of care and, and a desire to give back and to... To find ways to make sure that we just don't take from this resource but we also we also give um yeah. and i think maybe i hope maybe that is how bow hunting um provides a net benefit yeah let me just say that i don't know if that makes sense
1: no it does um and here's what happens in my this is my in my estimation and i've done it in my life um I, and I will start by saying I feel like I've sometimes been peer pressured into bow hunting because that's it was like a trendy thing to do. We got like a, we got a dog fight in the office. <laughs> um, I've been peer pressured into bow hunting because that's the trendier thing to do, right? The cool kids seem to be doing it, um,
2: and nobody actually—certainly I I actually, no one's thinking that because they're looking at me bow hunting. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know. I mean. Yeah, people...
2: <laughs> we got to get into what that guy
1: said. I know. <laughs> exactly. And the also one. the text that I sent you. Uh, those yeah, are two things we'll stuff. end with. Um, <laughs> but I think when it comes to this relatively serious subject, I always fall back on hunting is a very personal endeavor. And in, in its nature, in its modern sense, right? Because we could go to the store and get meat. Because there's other ways for us to to take um, take on... Take on the act of conservation right I could go help for the translocation help um, go help pick up trash on public lands and be doing just as much for conservation air quotes as um, I would if I would go out and buy a license and shoot a deer right so all the things that we use as reasoning like what you were just doing there was a very like noble attempt to talk around hey look this shit is selfish it is personal um, but it's selfish and personal because the end result is this thing that enriches you to, to such an extent mm-hmm. that it's appropriate at the end of the day it it, it fosters caring for animals and it fosters mm-hmm. caring for the natural world like but it, at, at the end of the day, it's a very selfish and personal endeavor. Um,
2: and I guess we do need to own that.
1: yeah just own that if you start from that owning, then you can then the rest of it just becomes simple mm-hmm. right. Um, we talk about that with catch and release fly fishing. Like just own that shit. Yes. Just own that. It's a very, this is like a very selfish endeavor, but like,
2: this of is all my of opportunity. I could <laughs> rail us right now. But we're not going. We're I not won't. going
1: there. Um, we could have. Mark and I had one time like a two hour. It was like seven o'clock at night. Debate. We were trying to
2: work, and then debate. two hours later, we were talking about catching and release. and
1: <laughs> release. We're not gonna do that here. We promise you. Um, but I think that that bow hunting is is selfish a lot of times. And it's like just admit, I admit it. Like it's a selfish thing. Mm-hmm. I I enjoy the experience more with a bow in my hand than with a rifle. Yeah. Um, does that complicate the, the ethical endeavor? Fuck yes, it does.
2: Yeah.
1: Boy, it does a lot. Um, but I also just realized that I'm not out there just for meat. I'm not out there just for conservation. It's not at its core an altruistic thing that I'm doing. It is very much for me. But it's for me for a good reason, mm-hmm. you know, because it enriches my life and it yeah. gives me something. And the byproducts of which, meat and conservation, that I went... dearly love. And yeah. I think, I ha- like the. I think those byproducts are the, some of the most important things that I've given to f- the fucking world around me, or whatever, however you say it.
0: For all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside, staring at screens, and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where Land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to Land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth.
1: So, you know, addressing what you said, I just think my opinion would be, after all that, is that this is just like what you said. is It's a very sometimes a selfish endeavor i think when a fella puts on an orange vest and picks up a bow and goes out like i i would have to like hear a really good reason for that
2: choosing to bow hunt during gun season when you could be with a gun
1: yes and there's you know obviously we know that in in wildlife management and biology like there's a reason why you can bow hunt from september to january Mm -hmm. but only rifle hunt from you know, November 1st and November 11th or whatever, you know, just making those numbers up, obviously. But um, there's reasons for that, right? There's wildlife management reasons. And wildlife managers and state game agencies are taking in wound loss numbers as they look at how many deer can be killed Mm -hmm. from a certain state or a certain unit. So we know that, too, as we go into it. A lot of people archery hunt, deer are doing just fine.
2: And so... It, w- the system we have in place is working.
1: Yeah. So as, as selfish as this thing may be, it's a working system. Yes. And it's got a lot of good yeah. that goes into it. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the imperfections of bow hunting are clear and present, but, but not so damning that we should never do it.
2: Yeah. I think as as long as we own it, and as long as the 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 only thing that does bother me is the guy or girl who who has experienced the imperfections of bow hunting and doesn't try to do anything about it. Yeah, Like, ah, I'm just going to grab a bow for the season. Yeah, I wound a couple of deer every year, but I got my buck. Yeah. Uh, put it up at the end of the season, and then next year, September 30th, I grab the bow out. That, I feel, uh, that shows a a disregard for the, the serious nature of what we're doing and for life. And yeah. so I would just caution, I would I would just want anyone... Yeah. Uh, I, I would go back to
1: Deshawn and his... His Meklovic, but like in that area of the world, in much of Europe, bow hunting is thought to be unspeakable. Like, I've hunted in Bulgaria, I've hunted in Germany. It's starting to change in Scandinavia, too. I mean, bow hunting is, is catching on in some of these areas, but traditionally, they believe we have a rifle. This is ethical, um, it's more ethical and, and more responsible to use a rifle some and in some of these areas and countries in Europe bow hunting is illegal for that reason because we have a more powerful a more lethal weapon to choose not to use it is foolish um there's arguments against that like for us longer hunting seasons and things of that nature that that certainly we would argue for but even that's very selfish um but at the same time you go over to Germany and they do driven hunts and they shoot rifles at running animals Mm -hmm. as a tradition as part of their tradition so all of this is oxymoronic at some level but there is if you think about the reverence in the culture and the european tradition for hunting there's more reverence there's a little bit more thought and they don't use bows Um, but so that's just another another way to go about it you know so i think for us we think hard about why we choose archery you know i'm friends with a lot of folks that only pick up a bow and say that out, say that outright. I only pick up a bow. I only hunt with a bow. Hashtag whatever. <laughs> Hashtag bow hunting only. Um, and use that as, and bow, and use a bow to shoot geese, and use a bow to shoot turkeys, and use a bow to shoot all types of things They could just as well have shot with a shotgun
2: or a rifle. And you have a problem with that. Is that what you're saying? I mean, that'd be hard to explain. See, I'd, I'd I don't have a problem with that for the same reasons that I just said yeah, yeah. in general. Because, I, as you mentioned, it's personal and it's a different way of, It's it's a very different way of hunting, right? The interaction, the experience you have with a rifle hunting a deer versus being forced to get that deer within 30 yards, it's just – it's a totally different thing.
1: It's and you could set it up different. ethically where you're like, I'm only going to take these shots, I'm only going to do you these You could, types but of who things. in the world has ever done that? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I, I think – Do I have a problem with it? I don't don't, think that's one of the things I would go after as a hunter. Like, if some other hunter said like I just hunt with a bow," like, all
2: right, well, you better be pretty good then. Better be pretty good. But there's something bother me. Yeah, there's 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 something I think. Now I understand your point of view and the other, but I do think there's also something admirable about self-limiting and increasing the level of challenge. Um, because it's not just the actual execution of the shot, but it's everything else that happens around that. Everything, you must be when a whole draw, lot more Yeah, they, yes. just being in the right position, being at the right time, understanding there's so um, there's so much more that goes into getting within 30 yards of an animal than 200. Um, and that that's why bow hunting is so compelling to me.
1: Yeah, no, bow hunting is much more compelling than rifle hunting. I mean, it's not even close. Um, and I do most of my hunting with a bow, and so I'm not – Certainly, not challenging that as much as I am just saying, "Hey, look, like we all know it, and let's just be more open about yeah. it, and let's just be let's let's look at wound loss rates and let's look at these yeah. things and try to um talk it through,
2: yeah, own it and get better,
1: yeah, for sure, and I think um, looking at these other examples in the world of where these things how these things are being treated is it provides some perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't spent a ton of time in Europe hunting and around those cultures, but the time I have is, has given me a lot of like, okay, there's a different way to think about it. And here's a different way, you know, and, um, and, and Sweden and a lot of parts of Scandinavia, um, you have to take a competency test with your weapon before you have to shoot a running steel plate, shoot a running moose. Wow. to, to be able to get a license to go hunt Interesting. it was much that way for dushan to could keep going back to him but much that way for him and, and Czechoslovakia growing hmm. up um and so there's there's probably some things we can implement around bow hunting to just ensure that as a group you know we're holding ourselves to a standard because there should be a standard right yeah. i mean
2: yeah i mean i i think so the counterpoint to that would be: Well, we are already struggling to recruit hunters. You want to put more barriers in the way of that?
1: I'm with you. I'm not like a barrier dude. I'm not like a like let yeah. the government figure that shit. I'm never that yeah. guy. I'm always like less of that is always seems yeah. always good. Ho-
2: hopefully, we can self-regulate.
1: Yeah, that's why. Like, yeah, self-regulation. I, yeah. I would I would agree with that. I think that ends up being the best way to do it. Yeah, and we had, and when we're on, nobody's arguing against
2: hunter safety classes. Yeah, nobody's like that sucks. And that's a great opportunity to incorporate more of this education i think there's an opportunity to improve what we're doing there probably yeah it's a long time since i've done that so i don't know exactly what they're doing today but
1: i don't i never shot a bow during i shot a shotgun i remember during mine and a rifle shoot
2: anything during ours yeah it was all classroom
1: and well when i grew up in my growing up we didn't really hunt with archery tackle until i was like maybe 18 16 17
2: 18 yeah i think i was like 13 or 14
1: yeah we it was two weeks out of the year get a rifle out and you know Poke yeah. holes in animals. Yeah. The various things. It's, for me, it was poke holes in trees for yeah, a while. For a while. <laughs> for a while. But also, you know, you know if if, and we'll look at this on the mediator.com and hopefully in some articles to come by you and others. But look at is this really true? Is 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 the wound loss rate on average for rifles? At, you know, and and archery. Where is that? Where is that level? Because there's a lot of Overconfidence with fire firearms. There's a lot of um, hedging That's, your bets. And I, think, so
2: we, I think we may find that we're completely off base. I've I've wondered about that because I do think shot selection with certain people with a firearm is much looser than much much looser much, much looser. So that and and the number of hunters using that weapon significantly higher. So you've got a way higher number of hunters out there, and now again over generalizing, but a much higher number of hunters a much higher percentage of those taking low-quality um, shots, probably.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, now, yeah, the weapon itself might be more effective, but only when, when used, you used know, the proper right way. Yeah. And I, uh, there might... I'd be very interested to see, too. So would I, because I think... I don't know, know what the answer is, but...
1: You know, I'm the imperfection of bow hunting, being what they are, there's not, that doesn't mean picking up a rifle is
2: a perfect thing <laughs> right. to do. I mean, it goes back to an example you brought up earlier, like shooting a moving animal. That's something that people do with firearms quite a lot. Um,
1: I have deer drives in Iowa. I think it's still legal. It's, it's a big thing in Michigan. A big thing in Michigan. It's a big thing down south. Yeah, you know, I
2: um, but I think there's there's it's it's a traditional use thing. It's something I know a lot of people do. I'm not going to sit here and tell anyone what to do, but I will just tell you that growing up for me, um, my grandfather, who was kind of the the patriarch of our family and our hunting camp, and who you everyone kind of he he set the laws. If you were to shoot at a moving animal, you were out yeah you're out we had a fr- an uncle of mine brought a friend up to our deer camp one year and they saw a, a buck chasing a doe across the field with inside a deer camp and that guy ran outside the camp grabbed his rifle off the side of the cabin started pow 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 shooting at that buck he was gone that wasn't acceptable because that yeah. in my grandfather's eyes that is not you you can't guarantee you're not gonna wound that animal
1: yeah talk about self-regulation
2: yeah I mean, that's um so that was that was the world and the, the tradition I grew up in. So that's where my perspective comes from. Um but I understand that there's different views. Yeah,
1: there certainly is. And that's that's something we're here to explore, man. Like yeah. I think that's the beautiful thing about what we got going with this company is that we're all willing to engage in these conversations and poke holes in our own assumptions. Like I got some assumptions about what bothers me. And I know that some of it's wrong. Yeah. I'm a boy; like they can't be all right. Right? Oh yeah, it can't be. But identifying these things, like you know, you've been pretty forward and talking about writing a piece on 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 this subject. And I think that's what it's the beauty of what we're going to try to do is take yeah. these issues that we all have, we all know they're there. Um, I think I don't know if you would agree with this, but I think um, maybe our father's generation and then some parts of our generation um, would rather. Pushed it under the rug, mm-hmm. for fear of you know persecution. Then, um, then talk it through.
2: I think having those conversations is important. Yeah. It's always something I've I've thought so too. Like we're, we may not agree on everything, but I think it is a positive step to at least put it out there. Yeah, talk about it. Yeah, think so, about it, think through these things. At so least. this is something I know you'll um, you'll write about soon.
1: But talk about if you have a tag, right? Every state is different for how they dole out their tags and licenses and things of that nature. But let's just build a scenario where you've got one tag for a deer Mm -hmm. every year with a bow. Let's just use a bow as an example. Um, The big buck that you were chasing comes by, something happens and you plunk one into his hindquarters, Mm -hmm. plunk an arrow into his hindquarters. He runs off. You're, relatively positive that he's not he's not deceased you try and try and try you try to make it happen Um, even in this you know even we'll just make up in this hypothetical that you hunt around the area where he was last seen there is blood but not a lot there is hair you know you know that you put a arrow into an animal and then he's likely not dead Um, do you notch your tag or not
2: yeah so I've been in this situation myself and, um, it's almost twice, I had two situations kind of similar to this and I had two different perspectives on it. One was like six years ago, one was this year. And I, I thought differently about it this year than I did six years ago. And it's, again, it's another one of these issues that it's, uh, there's a weird line somewhere in here and it's hard to know where to draw that line, I think. Um, but that first scenario hit a deer and saw where the arrow hit and it was it was back and low and my first gut was that, you know, that that should be a dead deer. But we tracked and tracked and tracked. And I looked for him for three days, never found him, very little blood. Um I was devastated. It was this buck I'd been watching for two years. The biggest deer at that point I'd ever gotten a shot at. It just it was like a in my mind and head it was like it was really it was a really um just really didn't want to have it end that way. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty devastated. Drove home that night. I'm not hunting anymore. Um, got pulled over speeding on the way home. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a bad place for a week. But then after a week, I was like, you know what? You know, I'm hoping that buck's still out there. I thought we should have found him. He was dead. We should have found him. Um, the shot was low. Might have been just like low brisket. Um, just you know, I eventually convinced myself that i should keep hunting and i got a picture and i'm like i got a picture of him oh wow so he made it i thought thought he made it got a picture of a buck that looked like him so all right i'm gonna keep hunting and uh so this is two weeks after having that first shot and not being able to recover that buck i'm hunting i see this buck come walking and oh my god that's jawbreaker it was real fast though, how it was happening. So I'd gotten this picture of him alive the night before, or I checked the camera, seen it alive. And the next morning I made a move to go into that buck's core area again to try to get him set up, like a hanging hunt type of deal. Within like an I don't know what it was, an hour of daylight or something. Here that buck comes. Big, tall framed deer. Um, and I got a shot at him. I'm like, oh my gosh, I just got this buck. It was amazing that it all came together. It had been like the lowest of lows and then the highest of highs now. Fast forward a few hours and I recover the deer. I walk up with the deer and I look at him like, oh, that's not him. This is a different buck. And I was like, whoa, he looked a lot like him. He was like a slightly smaller version of that deer. Um, but then I realized I'd killed a different buck. And then as the season progressed, I kept checking trail cameras and stuff because my buddy was still hunting there and no pictures, the no pictures of the original buck, no pictures of the original buck, no pictures of the original buck. So maybe he didn't make it. Maybe it was this buck all along. That spring I go shed hunting right there in the area where this buck, where I shot this buck, not far from that, the original buck. Hmm. And it was also close right where, where I shot that other one. Yeah, I find the original buck dead. And so then I'm thinking, man, you had killed that deer. He holed up in this little bottom of a ditch, and you just missed him. I mean, we grid searched. I brought two different dogs in to try to find him. So either we just somehow, by some horrible stroke of fate, missed him, or it had been like a several-day thing. Yeah, he circled back. He circled came back, back, and and yeah, back. came back, yeah. So that was like, that was really shitty. Um, that was really shitty. And... That was like that was that first example in my life as a bow hunter where that had happened, and where it really made me like think about the this whole topic of the imperfections of bow hunting yeah and the the when that happens, what do you do? How do you process that? What does that mean if you're moving forward as a hunter how do you how do you do everything you possibly can to make sure something like that doesn't happen again, et cetera, et cetera um, so that was that situation that's how I dealt with that situation at that point now fast forward to this past season, I get a shot at a deer um in montana on a hunt and the shot seemed pretty darn good from what i remember from the shot like, i had video was kind of zoomed out but i was like dang that's a pretty good shot like that's a dead deer there's no way that deer is not yeah. going to die but i couldn't find blood couldn't find blood now part of it's because i've got some red green color blindness <laughs> so it doesn't pop to me and i'm by myself in the middle of nowhere so it wasn't like it, maybe i missed some blood that i should have but i was having a hard time finding blood yeah eventually by that night grid search wasn't finding anything that night the next morning came back in daylight because i couldn't see anything anymore because of how dark it was that night came back in the next morning searched and searched and searched found a little blood grid search grid search grid search and i was devastated like oh my god you are you're not going to find this buck in here i mean it's just so thick and i was unbelievably upset about it so frustrated um and i and that's all right you're done hunting like that deer is dead and you have to find that deer, or you're going home with a punch tag. Like you're, you're, you're gonna. I'm gonna. I've got five more days here that, uh, until I have to go home, yeah. and I'm gonna walk every single hour of yeah, daylight. Spend and, five
1: days finding this deer,
2: and if I don't find that deer, then I'm done. Um, so I don't know what the right thing for someone to do. I think that if if I can understand if you know that you hit a deer in a way that is clearly not fatal. Like if you shoulder blade shot a deer and it gets two inches of penetration, or if you just graze a deer and there's a little bit of pear, but if there's some way you feel very, very clear that that is a non-lethal hit, and then you but you still did everything you possibly could do to make sure of that, um, in that situation, or especially if you see him again or get a picture again, in that situation, I totally i, I can understand continuing to hunt in that kind of situation. And again, this is just me. This is the way yeah, I yeah, think yeah. through. I mean, yeah, I'm. I, I know. There's different perspectives on this. I would say if that if you shoot a buck, and it's a clearly lethal hit, I personally would have a really hard time now, not punching that tag. Like, um, but that took a while for me to get to that point. Like that first year, I thought, well, because there, there's something that people the thing you hear is you got to get back in the saddle. Like the only way to get over this is to start hunting again, and. I understand that from like a how to make you feel better standpoint, <laughs> yeah. like maybe. Yeah. But is that the right thing? I don't know. I mean, it, I don't. There's not necessarily. A, I don't know if there's a clear cut answer from like from a I, I don't know. But I think where my head's at now, for me to feel okay with what I'm doing, I would punch that Montana tag. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, and it becomes that right. Like we we could have a wildlife manager come in here and tell us like, oh, we're you know. As far as wound loss rates go, when we take do, stuff into account, yeah, right? we take into account when we're doing the equation of uh, population studies, we're taking into account the population of deer plus the population of hunters, and then we're putting wound loss rate in there somewhere in that equation. I'm sure, mm-hmm. I'm sure that happens, um, and we'll endeavor to find someone that can give us some more you know, information on that in future articles and podcasts and things that we do, but, but for sure that's happening. So given that becomes a personal thing yeah from
2: managed from a larger macro management perspective it's not the end of the world yeah it's like that it's so we're
1: we're not saying like wow man you know as a as a hunter who's responsible for these things like don't do this no no that's not it it's more like and i think as a kid you don't really have the caring for like the animal you just don't have the capacity to have the caring and empathy Mm -hmm. empathy for the animal as you do um when you've developed this really these relationships with these deer and you've tracked them and hunted them you know so i think i would also argue that whitetail hunters have the most empathy for the animals people always talk shit and i have in the past about naming deer but
2: yeah, they're way, always dogging on me yeah well, we'll continue to i know that's all right i can but continue.
1: one of the good things is that you develop empathy for that animal yeah it's based on your relationship with it
2: it's a very unique weird kind of relationship yeah. Yeah, and and, and
1: again, the, like one of the more complex relationships. Very, and very, it's um the hunter's paradox is what I would yeah call it. very much so. And and there's a lot of folks I've written and 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 philosophized if that's a word about about these things. But you know, I like to put a point on it. I think it's a personal thing. But I think um, as a hunter, it's something to consider. Yes, like it's something to have in your like don't don't discount that scenario yeah don't say ah, i always if unless i get like i only tag it if i have the actual animal yeah leave yourself some room to make that just make that choice when it's necessary you know and don't don't write it off um in any way like keep it because it's
2: it's useful Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely agree and for me it's it comes (sighs) a lot of people you don't have to do this a lot of people don't do this but I think more and more, and, and definitely myself, the more time I, the deeper I get into hunting, just from a, just the activity, participating in it, the more I think about it. Yeah. And the more I think about what I'm doing, the more I think about why am I doing it, or how is this okay, or how is what I'm doing, how do I justify this to myself? How do I, those things are just in my mind a whole lot more. And it's those kinds of questions that lead me to the, Debates that we just had, having that own debate in my own head, and yeah. and the decision I made this year versus what I made that one year. I think the more and more you think about these things, the more it it, it will influence some of these decisions around all these tricky, hairy, complex topics. Yeah, and I,
1: I've been—we were talking last night. I've been the—I'm not like a, a staunch opponent of the grip and grin, but I'm just like kind of over it. Yeah, and I, there's a million reasons why not to do it. Um, I think, um, but I get why people do. I, if you look at my instagram account you'll see plenty of grip and grins mm-hmm. on there from years past i haven't done one in a while but it's but i've done them recent enough that you could call me a hypocrite or a flip flopper um and i'd have to defend that but it's just a, it's a, keep evolving keep yeah. thinking about the thing that we're doing um and like I said, I mean, whitetail hunting is is it, and it is the core of what we do. It is the most prevalent type of hunting, and it's the the most the relationship with the animal we have the most as a society and a culture. I think. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about charismatic megafauna and our relationship there, but it's not as intense on a daily basis. I mean, I lived in Texas; deer lived in my backyard. Mm-hmm. I'm here in Montana. There was deer in my backyard last night. Um, we went to the media Christmas party and there were deer walking around all over the place. know yeah. so our relationship with these animals are, is much more tangible than our relationship with others. I think um,
2: and it is the point sure. that you're getting to with this, that we can clearly point to Wired to hunt being the most important podcast. Absolutely. Of that. This is it. Is This the white tail podcast. You better listen to that <laughs> or you're a loser. And to close this all out, I think <laughs> tell,
1: I got to tell a quick story. Here's, um, we were in a meeting the other day, and uh, my wife texted me. I've been It's very intense, right? A couple of days worth of, of um, meetings. My wife texted me something around, the, the like, missing you.
2: Like, of course, I miss her, too. Right. And so I texted
1: her back. What, do you have it there? Did you pull it up?
2: Ben texted his quote-unquote wife, Busy meeting day, but can't wait for a weekend with my lovie's are you okay? And <laughs> I responded, can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, That's what you text your buddy some sweet nothings
1: that are meant for your lady. Yeah, I, we we got a good laugh out of that one. We're going to have a good weekend,
2: yes. you and I, this weekend. I can't wait for it. What? We are loveys. <laughs> we are loveys. I'm glad we established that early on. Yeah. It was good. That's was where good
1: we're going to end it. Right Perfect. there. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, Ben. That's it. That's all. Another episode of the hunting collective in the books. Thanks, Mark Kenyon. Uh, great conversation. As a whitetail hunter, whitetail lover, uh, it's good to hear his perspective on some of those different, more difficult topics, but just good to hang out with that guy. He's a good, good, good man. Um, is very caring in the way he approaches hunting and, and really enjoy, enjoy talking to him. As always. Ah, oh, what else is on the docket to talk about? Hey, um... There's a little thing online. There's a big controversy, big, big controversy online this last week about um, stickers. I got, uh, what, like three negative comments? Basically, the whole internet was talking about the sticker gate. I call it sticker gate. Yeah, that's a good name for it. Um, posted about, hey, go go to the, uh, the meateater.com store, you know, there and, and buy some stickers. Well, the, apparently the sticker was four bucks, but the shipping was six bucks, making it a $10 sticker. That better be a damn good sticker that much money so uh, that was something I didn't know I didn't know about the shipping so now that I know that um, we'll try to get that changed but in the meantime uh, there's more stuff there so you could order for example a pro nuance anti-bullshit t-shirt you could also order a kick-ass hoodie with the hunting collective podcast logo on there and then you could also um, order a sticker right those three things are there right now so if you go to com, or just go to themeateater.com click on shop you'll find those items there you can buy them now uh, buy them in any quantity that you want but um, I think we'll get over sticker gate uh, all three folks that complained hopefully you'll also go there and buy a shirt or a hoodie or something cool like that um, it's it's fun to have put that stuff out there so I hope that you like it and while you're there if you uh, have a little more time Click on the newsletter button up there. It says subscribe. You click on there. You put your email in. And then every Wednesday, the Meat Eater crew, which I'm a part of, sends you an email with all this awesome content in it. Um, it's got Pat Durkin. It's got Brody Henderson, Steve Rennella, me. It's got uh, Mark Kenyon. It's got April Voki. It's got all kinds of stuff therein so you're going to want to go and, and do that that's going to be very important uh, for everyone so we thank you thank you for listening thank you for commenting i really appreciate um, all the support we've had recently um, all the, uh, the downloads and the listens that that we've been getting been, that's been growing precipitously and i'm uh, thrilled about that never thought um, we'd be in a position where we are today but i'm happy about it so Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Hunting Collective. Bye.
0: After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, Wild Game Recipes for the Grill, Smoker, Campfire, and Camp Stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with aji verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire-charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold.